So, Mark. Yes. Let's talk animal sidekicks. Okay. If you could pick any species of talking animal to be your, like, sidekick assistant, what would you pick? So, my first thought is giraffe, because they're my favorite animal. But then I realized I couldn't take that giraffe anywhere I went. Like, they can't go inside buildings. I mean, I guess if they got really good at, like, ducking. Yeah, so I feel like as much as I love giraffes, that one might be a little tough, because it would be nice to have an animal that could actually go real places with you. Maybe a bear? Ooh, I that love could bears. Be fun because they can stand up on their hind legs and walk on all fours. You could ride one. What kind of bear? Um, probably a black bear. Smaller, like I said, they could fit inside buildings more easily. They're nicer. Yeah, they're cute. I was thinking an ostrich. <laughs> oh my god, ostriches are cool. They're so weird. They they're, can run really fast. They're one of the weirdest animals, I think. That's one of the things I like about them. They're also really mean. They're very mean. But this would be my ostrich sidekick, so it would be nice to me. Of course. And it would talk, and I could ride on it around, and it would be great. What voice actor would you want to voice your ostrich? Ooh, um, I hadn't even thought about it. That's a thinker. <laughs> I mean, if it was Aquaman, we know it would be Julie Andrews because she voices the Leviathan. But I think for me, I would pick somebody like, like, I want, like, Toy Story Tom Hanks, where he's just, like, super enthusiastic and friendly sounding. Like, hey, guys, come on! I was saying, but it's an ostrich running around. I feel like an ostrich would have a higher-pitched voice. Kind of weird. Their necks are so long. That's true. I don't know. I was thinking John Goodman for my bear. That's a great bear voice. Yeah. Oof, John Goodman should play a bear. John Goodman should play every role. He did kind of play a bear in Freshman Orientation. <laughs> Get out. <laughs> what You're a, done. What a You're terrible movie. Get out of here. What a dreadful movie. I brought this up, of course, because of heston the talking snake in the movie we're going to be discussing today oh yes yeah so the villain has an animal sidekick the hero has a book version where it's just a book that talks okay that made me really sad while i was doing research for this because the book his name is benny and he's played by jimmy mystery and i was reading an interview with him from when the movie came out and he was like yeah you know like i'm really sick of playing indian stereotypes all the time and you know i was excited about this role because what's less of an indian stereotype than an american book <laughs> and it's like so depressing yeah that he's like the best role i got least stereotypical playing a book i have a really important question unrelated to this okay so there are several characters doing british accents in this movie yes why is Minnie Driver doing a fake American accent? I don't know. I think that the accent thing serves some kind of class role in the movie, where Char and Edgar and... Heston. And Heston, right? And Joanna Lumley and Lucy Punch and, like, those people yeah. all have British accents. Because they're, like, classy and high up in society. And then the other people are, like, regular American folks. I guess that makes sense. I think that's what they're doing. Yeah. No, that's... Fair. I was just like, so many people are speaking with a British accent. Mini Driver, why are you being American? It's to show she's down to earth and she can really connect with the peoples. Yeah, it really did throw me off. <laughs> Not gonna lie. Yeah, Heston, of course, as you know, does have a British accent. Yes, Heston annoyed me. Yeah? Yeah, I'm just getting sick of seeing movies, and I know this is an old one, so you're gonna see it, but of movies where the villains coded as gay... That yeah. old trope is really annoying. It's worth noting, this snake in particular, thinking going back further, is modeled after Sir Hiss from Disney's Robin Hood. Like, oh, so very also, deliberately. Ka. 
<laughs> and, well, yes. Like, the same, who are basically the same. Yes. Because <laughs> I was thinking Ka when I was watching this. Yeah, the movement sense. is a little bit more like Sir Hiss, who's a, yeah. a thinner snake. Ka is more is thicker and a little more, more languid. I, w- I mean, yeah, because that trope is also there. Disney oh, for sure. is an annoyingly big fan of that to this day. Yeah. King Candy definitely played into that one. I have not seen that movie. I didn't see the second one, but yeah, King Candy has definitely got that like over the top. Second one's good. That's what you said, but never made it there. And it's a very old Raymond Chandler, huge homophobe in uh, Maltese Falcon. One of the gangsters is coded as gay. And right. that's why he's evil. It's not just like he is evil and also gay. It's very much intricately tied together. Hooray. So that was just one thing that kind of annoyed me about Heston. And it's not, it's not like the movie was conscious of what it was doing because it was, like you said, modeled on an older trope. But it was just something I'm getting a little annoyed of seeing. Oh, for sure. He's also just kind of a weird character. <laughs> it's also, yes, very strange that the bad guy just has a talking snake and no one talks about it. I like the fact that no one talks about it. Like, this is a world where there are a number of fantasy species around. There are ogres and giants and elves and fairies. And we're kind of led to believe, like, that's pretty much what it is. <laughs> Except also there's this one talking snake. There no- the entire castle is decorated with snakes. I want to know if those were around or if Edgar just decorated the place to look like his sidekick. There were no other talking animals also. It is just this snake. You barely see any other animals except for this random snake. And when Prince Char introduces Anne Hathaway to Carrie Elwes, he's like, Ah, oh, yes, this is my uncle Edgar and his Heston. Yeah. It's like, what's the story there? No one knows what's going on. Is he a human that got turned into a snake? Because that sounds like a thing that could happen. Lucinda always threatens to turn people into animals. Oh, that could be it. So maybe that was it. And maybe he says it's his Heston because they were gay lovers. That's what I thought (laughs) when I was watching that. And he's like, this is his Heston. I'm like, oh, he's like worried that she's homophobic. Yeah. So maybe they were gay lovers and then pissed off the wrong fairy and... Has the god turned into a snake? This is clearly canon. Yes, this is the only explanation that makes sense. This is what Tommy O'Havers was intending when he made this movie. Is that really his name? Yeah, that's his name. I had no idea. Tommy O'Havers. It's a great name. It's very fun to say. Should we get started? Should we yeah. talk more about the movie? Welcome to We Love the Love, a Hollywood romance podcast. I'm Mark and I'm gay. And I'm Will and I'm a ginger. And this is a podcast where we delve deep into cinematic love stories to answer the age-old question. Does Hollywood romance actually make any sense? And are these people actually dateable or even likable? It doesn't matter if the romance is a main plot or a one-scene flirtation. We will dig in. We'll dig deep. We'll dig below the earth. We may upset the foundations a little bit. We'll have to shore them up some, but then we'll be good. We can keep digging, and eventually we'll find a conclusive answer. This is just getting longer and longer every week, isn't it? It's getting different every week. All right. In case you didn't read the title of the episode... Or figure it out from what we've been saying. Or figure it out from your deep knowledge of the filmography of Tommy O'Haver. We are talking about Ella Enchanted, a movie that was so much weirder than I remember. That's what I keep telling people. I would run into people and they'd be like, oh, what are we doing on the show next? And I'd be like, oh, Ella Enchanted's coming up. And a lot of people are like, oh, that movie's so good. And I'm like, I don't think you remember how weird it is. It exists beyond the pale of good and bad to me. It's just weird. It's just weird. It's so unlike any other movie I've seen in a way. I saw this movie opening weekend, possibly opening day. I do not think I did. 
So it came out April 9th, 2004. It was the weekend of Easter. And I just know I was visiting my dad's family in Pennsylvania and we all like went and saw Ella Enchanted. I either saw this on TV or rented it for Blockbuster. I don't think I saw this one in theaters. I mean, it's Ella Enchanted. Yeah. It occupies a really interesting space. 2004. Yeah, 2004. But also particularly like, I think this movie really can only be understood in the context of Anne Hathaway's career. Yeah, it's very much tied to who Anne Hathaway is. Right. And so this movie comes out in April 2004. Princess Diaries 2 opens August 11th, 2004. So there's just a four-month gap between the release of those two movies. And so every interview with her that was coming out at the time was like, you know, you're doing a lot of princess movies. Yeah, And it's really interesting because Anne Hathaway is a very good actor. For sure. But she gets cast in roles where she has to play the same character. Right. And it's really after this point, like she does this, Royal Engagement comes out four months later. And then once she gets past Hoodwinked, which comes out the next year, she does this very deliberate pivot away into more adult roles. Where you can see her, she's 21 in this movie. Right. Being like, all right, time to move on before I'm like doing princesses forever. And that's when she starts doing Brokeback Mountain, Devil Wears Prada, these more and more adult movies. Yeah. Um, which, of course, peaks with Love and Other Drugs, which had that whole like moral panic in society about like, Anne Hathaway is topless. Like, what the heck is going on there? And it was like this huge scandal in the press at the time. Oh, my God. And it was funny because I was reading this interview with her. And it was one of the many interviews where she was asked about it. And I'm just going to quote here from the interview. She says, In terms of the princess role, there is only so long you can play those as a young lady before you start feeling really ridiculous. They are so much fun to do. I figure I might as well get the most out of them while I can. Then I'll go off and play all the drug addicts and the prostitutes and all the good ones you do to win Oscars for a little bit later on. But now I am, yes, ready to hang up the tiara and put the ball gown in storage. And of course, she wins her Oscar playing a prostitute. Yeah, I was about to say, hasn't she done both? Is she on drugs and love and other drugs? I haven't seen it. All right. I don't know if she's done the drug addict one, but she definitely did the prostitute role. Right, and that's what she got her Oscar for. Yeah. Can we talk about the magic that is Anne Hathaway's face? It's incredible. How has it not changed? I googled her, like, now while watching this, and then I googled Hugh Dancy now. And Hugh Dancy looks like it's been 14 years since this movie came out. I don't think I've ever seen him in anything else. uh, I watched Hannibal, Mm -hmm. the first season, and he was on that. But Anne Hathaway looks the same. It's horrifying. (laughs) She's a witch. It's been 14 years since this movie came out. Yeah. And she looks the same. I think she's under a spell. That's why she was playing so many princesses. She was under a spell in this movie. For sure, she was. Yeah. This movie was produced by Miramax back when they were owned by Disney. Anne Hathaway had been like in the mix for it for years earlier. She said in an interview that they gave her the book when she was 16. And was just like, keep this in mind. Oh, weird. Yeah, isn't that weird? Yeah. And then when they were doing the movie, they trained her in mime for some of the stuff when she was going to be, like, forced to move around, making it a little more exaggerated. Yeah, she definitely needed movement work. And also in kickboxing, which, as we know, is the sport of the future. I don't remember that. It's from, uh, Say Anything. (laughs) Oh, right. Yes, the sport of the future. My main kickbox referencing is in Spongebob. Well, this movie, of course, has not become a cornerstone of reference. (laughs) No, this movie is so weird. It was... A bizarre movie, and it flopped. It ultimately made $23 million on its $31 million budget. Which is weird, because I feel like everyone knows this movie. A lot of people are familiar with it. It was also a little more expensive than it probably needed to be. They shot it in Ireland because it was cheap, but 
the skies were really gray and they wanted them to be more fairy taleish, so they digitally changed them to blue. Oh my god. That was so dumb. There's a reason that Hollywood is in Southern California. Right. I mean, most of it was to escape the monopoly of Thomas Edison on film production. But the other part of it was the weather. weather. <laughs> yeah. Um, the movie opened, of course, as we said, in April 2004. It opened at ninth place on 1900 screens. So it's a wide release Oof. and was not playing. No. Number one was week seven of The Passion of the Christ. Oh, that movie. Which hadn't actually been at one all that time. It Like, it was at fifth the week before that. But Easter weekend, everyone went back to see The Passion of the Christ. Oh, my God. Of course they did. Yeah. So, this movie did not do super well. And probably rightfully so. Yeah. Like I said, I feel like it almost exists outside the continuum. I kind of enjoyed rewatching. Like, would you it. recommend this? Probably not. But, like... It's I an mean, interesting artifact. The other thing is, it's also only 90 minutes. Like, it's shorter than an episode of Sherlock, so it's kind of just like, if you got nothing else to do, you watch this movie when you were younger, it might be worth You're not going to be mad about it. it. Just because you'll be like, what is happening here? Yeah. Uh, it's worth noting this movie is based on a book by Gail Carson Levine, same title. There's actually a prequel novel that came out last August called Ogre Enchanted. I don't think it's a prequel to the same characters, but it's set in that universe prior to the book. Right. Uh, the book, by all accounts, is wildly different from the movie. I actually checked in with our young girl's novel expert, Rachel, to find out in what ways it was different. Yeah. And basically, one of the big things is that the book is not focused on the romance, whereas the movie very much is. Mm -hmm. And, like, Ella and Char are friends since they're little kids when, like, one time she saves somebody at the zoo. And Char, who owns the zoo, amazing, why is that not in the movie, sees her and is like, wow, that's pretty cool. And then they become childhood friends, and then they're, like, teenage friends when Ella's mom dies and she's really upset. And then they become, like, pen pal friends when she gets sent off to finishing school, and they fall in love via letters. That sounds very different. It seems like it's and nothing like the book. I have a lot of questions. What is the book about? I guess it's probably more focused on her breaking the spell. Yeah, and she apparently in the book can resist the spell to a certain extent. Like Anne Hathaway just has to do immediately whatever she's ordered to do. Yes. In the book, Ella can resist it a little bit or for some time. But if she resists for a while, then she starts to feel sick. The whole time I was watching, I was just like, there's a lot of times where she could have manipulated it yes and she doesn't and that's something that i want to talk about as we get into the movie right because i think there are some places where she could make things a little easier for herself for sure it really did annoy me there were so many times she could have just waited or the big one i'm thinking of is when her stepsisters say to take that or something she could grab it and then put it right back yeah she has or accomplished it I thought of it when the stepsister makes her be racist to her friend. Yes. That she's told to say specific things, but can she not say more than that? It seems that in the movie, at least, she really has to follow the spirit as well as the actual words. Right, which I don't think is true in the book. Which makes more sense, because it's more interesting if you have to watch her figure out how to get out of things, and then people have to be more specific when they know what's going on. Yeah. Should we talk about the movie? Yeah, let's get into it. All right, we're doing Ella Enchanted. It's the second of Anne Hathaway's three princess movies. And in every episode, we take the romantic plotline of a movie. We break it down to the five points that best exemplify the relationship. If it's not in the romance, we don't talk about it. Except we often do, because we want to. Yeah. Unsurprisingly, this podcast has tangents. What? In a podcast? <laughs> Who could have guessed? 
So, we're going to be going through the romance of Ella Enchanted. And, you know, point one starts the romance, but I think we need to lay some groundwork. Yes, so Ella is a baby when the movie opens. And a fairy named Lucinda... Played by Vivica Fox. ...comes and gives her the gift of obedience, where she has to do whatever she's told. This is a terrible gift. That's the hook of the movie. It's referred to frequently as a curse. Right, and... Lucinda refuses to accept the fact that she gave a bad gift. She says she has a no-return policy. She threatens to transfigure baby Ella. Into a squirrel. She also, we later find out, Ella's mom continued to track down Lucinda and ask for the change. And was told then that the mom might be turned into a squirrel. And that fairy mini driver's eternal youth might be taken away. What are the fairy politics in this world? Unclear. Never mentioned in terms of the oppression elements that affect other races yeah also like why is Minnie driver attached to this family does she have free will is she a slave what is happening there i think she does that would be my guess i'm unsure yeah it does not matter it doesn't affect the romance it was just something i was watching the whole time and i was like so why can lucinda control the fairiness of Minnie driver what is the i think she's power? just more magically powerful yeah we're told that Minnie driver's magic is not super strong right our mini driver is like more of a squib. Yeah. <laughs> she seems very useless. She's the Mrs. Fig of this universe. Yeah. So it's worth noting Vivica Fox shows up a couple more times, never <laughs> is punished for her no, terribleness. It's never addressed. She is like a drunken mess who gives a terrible gift. She just continues to live her life and there is no punishment meted out to her. That's what this movie should be about. It should be like a vengeance quest against Vivica Fox. Yeah, for sure. It's horrible. So Ella then has to live with this where anytime somebody tells her to do something, she has to do it. And before her mom dies, because it's a fairy tale, so there's a dead mom, her mom's like, yo, don't tell anybody about this deal because I don't want them to use it to take advantage of you. Which is well-intentioned. Yes. But in the long term is a bad order. Her mom should know to phrase things as questions, because she doesn't have to do what she's told if it's in the form of a question. Oh, her mom is deliberately using it as an order, I think. I know, but it's so dumb, because you should trust your daughter. Also, just, like, presumably she'll live a long life and will, like, want to tell people as an adult. Maybe her mom thought she would die young. I mean, maybe her mom was like, eh, someone's gonna tell her to stand still and she's gonna get run over by a cart. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Let's be real. Which brings us to point number one. <laughs> The meet cute at the mall, because there is a mall in this movie with escalators. The other piece of context we need for when this movie comes out is, on the one hand, it's between the Princess Diaries movies, and on the other hand, it's three years after Shrek. And this is a post-Shrek movie. This movie definitely exists in a post-Shrek world. There's a lot of jokes that are doing the kind of, like, Shrek playing in the sandbox of a magical world kind of deal. This is the same year as Shrek 2. Really? Yeah. Weird. It's definitely playing with the same jokes, but this movie is even more just putting the sheen on it and not attempting to... It plays with the fairy tale genre, but... Only in certain references in the costumes, almost. We see some throwaway, like, signage stuff. Like, there's a hotel that's the Four Seasons, but it's Roman numerals. Yeah, and... I will say, the, the one thing I really like, I like the escalator that turns by a hand crank. Yeah, that has people using it. It is funny, but it's also just... They wanted to make a teen movie, and then Shrek gave them permission to, like, 
make a teen movie with the medieval sheen on it, but it does it in way too far to the teen movie side for me. Where it I loses. mean, that's definitely what this movie is. I know. And it loses the some of the, like, I don't know, because it just, that's one of the reasons it feels so weird, is because they're not using the fact that it's, like, a medieval time enough. Uh, a movie also is, like, in a very 2004 way, it's terrified of earnestness. Yes. Where everyone is constantly winking at the camera. Something even Anne Hathaway talked about in interviews where she's like, ah, you know, Princess Diaries is an earnest fairy tale. And this is like laughing at being a fairy tale. It doesn't really respect its source material. I mean, it's nothing like its source material. Uh, So anyway, there's a mall opening and Prince Char, played by Hugh Dancy, is supposed to go to it to give the people what they want, a.k.a. his sexy face. Image is everything. Image is everything. So he's there with his uncle, Edgar, played by Carrie Ellis. One of the things I like, at this mall, there's a statue of Char just, like, chilling there, like, in his teen look. But behind, also in the statue, is Edgar with his hand on his shoulder and the staff with Hester on it. And later on at the coronation ball, there's an ice sculpture that's the same deal. And I love that in all the official iconography of the prince, his uncle and the snake are just hanging out. Yeah, Heston is everywhere. It's very, very strange. This movie is weird. All right. (laughs) So so, they're at a mall opening. Yes. And Anne Hathaway and her best friend are leading a protest against the racist policies of the current administration. Right. Edgar wants to turn the non-human races effectively into slave labor and entertainment for the humans of this land. Which is called Lamia, maybe? I think Lamia is just the capital. Oh. No idea, then. We're never given a name of the whole area. Yeah. So she's protesting, but then her, her stepsister, who's the president of the Prince Char fan club, tells her to go home. So she leaves. Because she has to. She has to. And so she's like walking stiffly down the road when Prince Char also runs away because these like teeny bopper fans start chasing him. So he's running down the road. He sees Ella and he's like, I gotta go. And for some reason, when he hides by the side of the road, he also grabs her so that she won't tell them. Yeah, why does he do that? I think his fear is that she is another teeny balpa girl who will reveal his hiding place. I guess, yeah, tell the rest of the girls. Yeah, so he grabs her and holds her there while they run away, and then they start chatting, and he's like, oh, yes, I I am Char, like, yeah, of course, and she's like, oh, I know who you are, you terrible person! Yeah, she's basically like, you're a racist monster, and I hate you, and that turns him on, because no one has ever talked to him that way. Yeah, he says, you're the first maiden I've met who didn't swoon at the sight of me. He doesn't say it like that, he says it kind of surprised, but also pleased. Yeah, so he's clearly interested in her intrigued by her at least yeah my favorite bit in this is she's really taking him to task for the crown's policies which he's not even really aware of he doesn't pay attention to anything that's going on he's been at boarding school yeah but there's a running thread of char pays no attention to politics a real problem for a guy who's about to be crowned king (laughs) yeah he's the worst at one point, he's going on about like, oh, no, like, I want peace in the kingdom. I don't want anything bad to happen. And she asks him, oh, do you have a plan for when you take over? And he says, of course, but obviously I couldn't reveal it to a subject, <laughs> which is such an obvious pile of BS. It's like the secret plan to fight inflation from the West Wing. Right. They have a plan to fight inflation. Is the reason you won't tell us about it that it's a secret? Yeah, Danny, we have a secret inflation plan. Right, it's clear he's lying. But then Ella realizes that she left her bag, and she's like, oh no, I have to go back to the mall and get my bag. And he's like, I'll get it. She goes, no, I'll get it. And he goes, no, you stay right here, and I'll go get it. And whoops, she has to stay right there, because she's obedient. 
And then a cart comes and almost runs her over because the guy's driving really fast, beating his horse repeatedly. And that's why you always drive the speed limit. Right. And I that- just want to throw this out, too. If I were riding my ostrich, we would be able to dodge Ella. Yeah, but you probably wouldn't be able to have a cart behind you. We'd have, like, saddlebags. Yeah. So then Char pushes her out of the way and saves her life. The, for the first time. And then she's like, oh, making a habit of knocking me over, I see. And he's like, what? I saved your life. Why didn't you move? And then he helps her up. And I think at that point. That's when her stepsister, Hattie, shows up. Ses- yeah, Lucy Punch. Right. Who then sends Ella home again. And specifically orders her to stop flirting with Char. <laughs> right. Which I guess she follows because she wasn't really flirting with him anyway. Yeah. So, so that's one, that one's easy enough to yeah, do. Yeah, that one was easy for her. And then Lucy creeps Char out and he is freaked out. Tells Lucy Punch to tell Ella that he wants to talk to her again and then leaves. Then uh, some other stuff happens before we get to our point two. Ella's stepsister and stepmother start taking advantage of the fact that she has to follow orders, and she ultimately decides that she has to leave to go find Lucinda and get the curse lifted. So she leaves with just a book. She doesn't bring a single change of clothing or any food on this journey. She brings Benny the talking book, and she's just like going through the forest, and she battles some brigands. She rescues an elf named Slannon or something. Slannon, who is basically Hermie the elf from Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Yeah, he wants to be a lawyer. He's grumpy. He doesn't Slannon like doesn't to like to make and toys. Dance. And then they run across an ogre. And the ogres try to kill them. And then Hugh Dancy, who plays, what's his name? Prince Char. Ah, yes, because of, like, charming. Right. And they fight the ogres, and the ogres run away. Right. He saves her life again because the ogres have her suspended over a boiling pot. Well, a not-yet-boiling pot. So here's my question about the ogres in this movie. They very pointedly tell us that the ogres did not attack people during the reign of Char's father. Yes. But the ogres eat humans. Yes. So what did they eat? I mean, I assume they eat other things, but they like human the most. It's like you eat chicken, but sometimes you want a steak because it's a little more expensive, harder to get. But you I don't... think the politics of that would be more complicated if cows ran the government. <laughs> yeah, as you can imagine. But I just mean like there's different types of meat. Some you crave, but you hold yourself back because maybe humans not as healthy as some of their other meat options. And they're mostly doing it now out of revenge for getting all of their land expropriated and stolen by the government. Yeah, true. So Char rescues Ella. He gets like a minor cut on his arm and she's like, oh no, like you have to let me treat that cut. And he's like, it's fine. It's 100% fine. She goes, no, you have to. Next thing we know, he is shirtless by the creek. Definitely... Her attempt to get him shirtless, just to check it out, see what she's working with. That's clearly what's going on, because as much as she, in dialogue, is hostile to him, she's also very clearly trying to get with him. I mean, it's kind of that thing where you're like, uh, I don't really like you, but you're hot, so maybe just like, maybe for a bit. (laughs) So, not only does she get her to take off his shirt for completely unnecessary reasons they then are riding along because he says oh you know we're going the same direction i might as well ride with you it'll be easier to rescue you if i'm already there (laughs) you know right and then as they're going along they both do they're like oh what does your boyfriend think about you being out like this or like uh does your girlfriend know that you're just like riding around the countryside and they both do that like stupid thing where you're clearly just throwing that in there to find out if they're dating someone i totally miss that i think i just stopped paying attention for a bit this movie is 90 minutes but i still definitely just zoned out at times (laughs) 
Just stop paying attention. Not bad. <laughs> no. But there's definitely points where I didn't care as much. And, like, this part, where it wasn't that exciting. They were just talking to each other. But then the next part, when sexy Heidi Klum shows up as a giant. All right, so they're, like, getting along pretty well. They're coming to the next stop, which is Giantsville. And they need to go there because that's where Lucinda, Vivica Fox, the fairy, is. So she presumably can lift Ella's curse. And they're going into town and they're kind of wary because they found out the giants and the kingdom are not getting along so well because the kingdom is enslaving the giants. Yes. This one is the most direct, like, they are slaves. Yeah, we see them being whipped and gathering vegetables in fields. Yes. And then they go to the giant's town because that's where... Lucinda was last seen. And the whole town is at this wedding, and they're like, well, I guess we're crashing this wedding. There's not that many people in the town, though, so it makes sense. I mean, you figure a landscape can only support so many giants. Right. There's only so much food that the Earth produces. Giants are a lot of biomass, so you can't get that many of them. So they're at the giant wedding party, and Char manages to appear reasonable enough that the giants are willing to let him in, despite their hostility towards the crown. Right. Did we say this is point three? We're officially on point three. Oh, yeah, this is point three. Ding! And they are just hanging out, having a good time, until the giants start trying to get Slannon the elf to sing and dance for them. He's like, I don't sing and dance unless it's in a court of law. Doesn't really make sense, but then the giants make Anne Hathaway sing. They're like, somebody sing, and then somebody says, like, sing a song as an order, and, well, what do you know? Anne Hathaway has to sing Somebody to Love. Yep, and then they continue to just shout things out like, more soulful or dance and she follows all those orders yes and then all of a sudden she is dancing with the prince and then it's like a hug dance it's a hug dance and then after the song somehow they're by the fire and basically admitting they love each other already immediately immediately it's the first day it's the first day it's been maybe a few hours that they've known each other and they're kissing Yeah, and she at first is like, yeah, I want to keep going. I got to go find Lucinda. And he's like, it's the middle of the night. Where are you going to go? And she's like, no, I have to keep moving. And he's trying to convince her to hang out for the party. And finally, he says, like, stay for the party. And she's like, oh, I have to stay now. And I think he doesn't know about the curse. Right. He thinks that she follows orders because he's the prince. Right. And so then he's like, wait a minute. Like, you don't have to stay. I don't want you to do something if you don't want to do it. And that's when you see her eyes. And she's just like, now I'm in love with you. Yep. Wow. That's all it took. But now I'm in love with you, and that will not change throughout the movie. Nope. That's the moment they're in love, and it's all... Now it's all just, like, moving the pieces into place. Right. Uh, Can we also talk about how weird the giant's dancing is? It's very strange. Their music is, like, almost belly dancing-esque. Yeah. But it's all white people, and they're giants. And it was very confusing. It's very strange. The music in this movie, in general, is, like, a lot of interesting choices. Yeah, it's not just, like, traditional... European folk music, not like folk music as we think of it, but ballad style. What I also like about it is how much of it is so specifically 2004. Yeah, the fact that there are two song and dance numbers in this movie is very of that era. It's a post-Shrek movie. Yes. But also like in Don't Go Breaking My Heart at the end of the movie, Anne Hathaway is singing. Hugh Dancy is not. His singing voice is Jesse McCartney. Oh my god. That is an Anne Hathaway, Jesse McCartney duet that ends this movie. Wow. 2004 in a nutshell. And like, the version of Respect that's in it is 
a Kelly Clarkson cover of it? Mm. 2004. Fourth grade. What a year. What an age. What an age. What an era in American culture. So that was point number three, this giant wedding. Now for point number four... They head to the capital, Lemuria, or whatever it is. They figure out that Lucinda's in the capital. Like, right. someone mentions that she's heading that way. So they head there. Char needs to go there because he is going to be crowned king. Slannon needs to go there because he wants to be a lawyer. Yeah, he wants to petition Edgar to let him practice law. Even though if he waits for one day, then the guy that he has now formed a relationship will be king and probably grant him that right. Right, exactly. <laughs> So, oh, on the subject of romance from the giant wedding, we should notice Slannon the elf is now like flirty, he- heavily flirting yeah. with giant Heidi Klum. It's essentially Donkey and Dragon. It's Donkey and Dragon, right? It That's is what I was going to say. Donkey and Dragon. His character is Hermie the elf plus Donkey. Like a more depressed Donkey. Well, that's where the Hermie comes in. Yeah. So, we're now back. Char and Edgar and Ella and Heston all meet. It's, it's like the scene in Shrek 2 when right. Shrek and Fiona come and meet the parents. Yes. And then her stepsisters and stepmother are in the capital on the tour also. They're on the, like, celebrity tour right. of the palace. Some of the women are licking the floor because Char's feet have been on it. Uh, and that's where one of the lines that I thought was very weird and kind of funny was, Stop tonguing the foyer. Yikes. I missed that. Says that. <laughs> says those words. Those words are in this movie. Oh, boy. It's worth noting, this is also the point at which Char tells Edgar that he's going to ask Ella to marry him at the coronation ball. Guys, it has been one day. <laughs> like, the journey is at most three days. Like, yes. if we're generous, if they spent the night in the elf town, then from Ella leaving to the end of the movie is three days. This movie is insane. So Char tells Edgar that he's going to ask Ella to marry him, and Edgar is like, what? Yeah. And of course, Edgar's Honestly, thing is not like, how are you going to marry this girl? His thing is like, crap, I cannot have another contender for the throne. Right. Oh, he, by the way, Edgar is evil. He wants to kill Char and take the throne. Yeah, so Edgar's the evil uncle, but even an unevil uncle would be like, are you sure? <laughs> are, are you sure? This is a commoner that you met yesterday. So the only real question that I have about how the story works, like I understand all of the movements of the plot, except for how Edgar teams up with... Hattie and Olive, because the timeline doesn't make any sense. So we see Hattie and Olive see Char and Ella come into the castle. And that's when Hattie and Olive like steal away because Hattie, Lucy Punch, has some other idea. So they start going just from seeing them both around. Then Edgar, after that, is told that Char wants to marry Ella. Right. And then Edgar's like, all right, Heston, we've got to take action and go off. And the next time we see any of those characters, they're all together plotting to take down both of them. I think what's supposed to have happened is they like left the tour. So they got in trouble. They were tracked down. But somehow Edgar figured out who they were and brought them in to find out dirt. It's just strange to me also but, that Hattie would be like immediately, oh, this guy wants to know how to take down Ella. No, he asks for dirt on Ella and then promises to let her marry That's Edgar right. if he, she tells him how to, like, kill Ella in a way. That's right. I think I was just, like, thrown by how they all wound up in the same room. They're just suddenly yeah. all the bad guys are working together. Right. And it didn't really make any sense. No, it doesn't. But there is, like, there are motivations. Motivations are provided. Right. Oh, there are motivations. There's just not 
a reason for those motivations to have aligned so neatly. No, it's kind of a thing where, you know, it would be like if people left a White House tour and they were then brought to see the president to determine what to would be done with them. Right, that, that's what happens. That is the, that's where the ridiculousness comes in. So anyway, they tell Edgar all about how to mess with Ella. Right, so then Ella... Well, Ella's in the library. She's trying to track down where Lucinda is. is. Right. And then Edgar comes up and is like, yo, you need to kill Char. Yeah. So he says, at midnight at the coronation ball, here's a dagger. Stick it in Char's heart. It's like Char's going to take you to the Hall of Mirrors. He's going to ask you to marry him. Instead of doing that, stab him. And you can't tell anyone about it. So then she's real upset. So she writes Char a letter. And she's like, right, I have to leave. I can't see you ever again. I'm breaking up with you. And And then then she gets slammed to chain her to a tree. Right. So that she won't be able to go and kill him. Because she thinks that if she waits till after midnight, then, you know. She'll be good because the direction specifically said do this at midnight on the night of the coronation ball. So she's chained to the tree. Char is really upset because he got this letter. Right. And it's a real bummer. Until Lucinda, like, happens to crash land right there in the field where the tree is. And Ella begs her to lift the curse. And Lucinda's like, please, I don't lift my curses. They're amazing. I mean, gifts. She calls them gifts. Right. They're the best. If you don't like it, get rid of it yourself. Oh, by the way, since I'm so friendly, I'm going to unchain you from that tree there. Right. And so then Ella's compelled. She goes to the castle. Char brings her to the Hall of Mirrors. She pulls a knife. And then she manages not to curse. Kill him. Yeah, she breaks the curse. She manages doesn't kill not him. to kill him. But by dropping the knife, he's like, "You tried to kill me." I'm like, "No, she just dropped a knife on the ground." Uh, who among us is not carrying a deadly knife all the time? Where did the thing come from? Her dress did not have pockets. All of a sudden, she's holding a dagger behind her back. I think a PA handed it to her. <laughs> I'm guessing maybe it's supposed to be like the magic because she did stop gravity from working that could be true yeah so like by the fact that he said use this dagger maybe it magically showed up in her hand yeah the wildest manifestation of the curse is when she's told to steal something from the mall and she's running and a guard goes freeze and she literally freezes in midair it's never explained how that works because that's not her making a choice to do something i'm magic yeah how it works it is magic that compels her to follow orders, so. That but, is, like, it's one thing like It's it. one thing when, during the debate, her stepsister is like, hold your tongue, and she sticks out her tongue and grabs onto it. It's another one to just freeze in midair. That's not your choice. That's physics. Right. It is weird, but it is one that you can also just address as magic and move on. I guess. So, then... She gets arrested because arrested. Edgar and some guards are watching from behind a two-way mirror. Right. But then Slannon is able to rally the elves and giants and ogres to break her out of jail. So that takes us to point number five. So the next day, they break out of jail. It's Char's coronation. He's going to be crowned king, but Edgar has poison to the crown how does this work not sure (laughs) so he's put something in the crown that releases green gas yes but it's not a poison gas like it doesn't fill the room it just kills a person who has the crown securely set on their head how did claudius put a few drops of poison into hamlet's father's ear and then hamlet's father died I assume poison wasn't necessarily understood in the past. Uh, you know, you just kill a snake, you squeeze its guts out, you pour it into someone's ear. Right. So 
The crown is poison. <laughs> wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Your argument there was poison wasn't understood in the past, like the late 1500s and also 2004? <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe that's their one attempt to play it off as, oh, it is the past. This is a poison gas. No, it's a poison that they, like, color green so that the audience recognizes, ah, yes, this is poison. But when they're carrying the crowded, we can see, like, green smoke wafting off it. I know, but, like, it has to be invisible in the world because otherwise people would be like, why is the crown smoking? Maybe it's magic. It makes no (laughs) sense. It could also be magic potion. Like, we don't see him poisoning the crown. That's true. It also turns out to not be deadly. So what was his plan there? Yeah, it renders him invalid yeah which i guess then edgar would be able to take control rule as regent right so anyway anyway it's the coronation ella's broken out of jail she busts in just in time to stop char from being crowned but then all the guards including the red guard who are very good at flips but very bad at fighting yes come all in of the guards are and it's a whole big brawl between ella and her fairy tale friends versus the guards who work for edgar yeah in the midst of the fight Ella tells Char that she loves him. Oh, no, wait, this is earlier. Oh, yeah, this was what I was talking about. This was actually the night of the coronation ball when they're in the Hall of Mirrors where she, before right. she tries to kill him. And she's still trying to get him to let her go so that she won't be around at midnight to kill him. Right. And she tells him, like, you know, I love you, but I'm wrong for the kingdom. We can't be together. And his response is, like, what's wrong? My politics, your family, those things don't matter. It's time for Char to realize that politics matter. Yeah, it is. He's going to be a bad king. It's very problematic. And that his will... indifference to the plight of the masses, his disinterest in politics, it's a problem. Ella will be running this kingdom. Clearly. Clearly. Which is good because she's been thinking about these issues for years. She's yes. the not racist kid in elementary school. Right. The only one. Ugh. Anyway, then uh, they defeat the guards, and Edgar screams, and he puts the crown on his head to make himself king. I am king. He forgot that he poisoned it. And then they get married, and there's a dance number. Yep. And then at the very end, Edgar's rolled out in a wheelchair and shown no one died in the making of this movie. Everything's happy. Hooray. Yay. The villain got punished, but he is not dead. Do we see Heston at the end? No. We just see him get stomped on a bunch during Heston the fight. Heston is dead. He got stomped <laughs> on by giants. And he is a snake. Uh, a snake indeed. <laughs> Will, what do you think? Is it believable? I mean, it takes place over two days. So no. Yeah. I love how earnestly the movie tries to build it up in dialogue, though. Where, like, there's a point where Ella is talking to Lucinda. And she's like, a guy that I really like and maybe even could have loved. And it's like... Girl, in like an hour, you're going to tell him you love him. (laughs) Yeah, it's ridiculous. It's not even that it's too fast, but the only turn on for him is the fact that she doesn't like him. And the turn on for her is that he doesn't order her to do things she doesn't want to do. Right. One time he says, I don't want you to do it. He says it a couple of times. To be fair, he says it a couple of times. Yeah, but it's only the first time that makes her fall in love. Right. (laughs) So, no. I mean, props to Anne Hathaway for really selling that. Like, I was like, oh, I can tell that you're in love with him now. Yeah, she is a good actor. In a weird movie. You know what's also weird about this? What? This movie, like Princess Diaries, has a weird debate scene in school in it. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing! (laughs) Because Princess Diaries, there's the school uniforms debate that Mia, like, runs out of and vomits. And then in this one, there's the debate over, like, is the monarchy good? And Ella's argument is, no, they crazy racist. Yeah. And Lucy Punch's argument is, Prince Char is hot. And then, just so you know, Ella loses the debate. How many schools are running this kind of debate class? I don't know. It's community college, so I guess it's a public speaking class? I guess. 
I don't know. It's weird that it's in both of those movies. It is. It's very strange. All right, where would you rank this movie on our 10-point scale where 10 is 100% believable and 0 is I don't believe any of it? I'm going to 1. You're going to 1? This movie's a 1. I I have a hard time arguing with that. If we have While You're Sleeping as a 3, this is a 1. While You're Sleeping is a masterpiece. Oh. Okay, um, do you think Ella or Char is dateable? No. Char's a real dummy. Char's a dummy and... I mean, I guess there really isn't a reason I said no for Ella. It's mostly that this movie is so weird that everyone seems right incomprehensible. No, I agree with you. I think Ella probably is dateable. Yeah. But definitely not Char. He's a big old dummy. Yeah, he's he dumb. He's a huge goob. He dumb. But if you did have to pick one person in this movie to date, who would it be? Her friend. Oh, yeah, she's cool. Yeah. Her other radical I was thinking, there's this one giant at the giant wedding. He has no lines. He's just in the background. He's holding one of those circular horns. Yeah. You know the ones I'm talking about? Right. And he's just in a bunch of background shots, just holding it and like smiling and bopping around. He never plays the horn. <laughs> he's just holding it. And I was like, that guy has figured out how to have a good time. He probably wasn't invited to the wedding. He just walked in, picked up this horn so he would look like he belonged, but he doesn't know how to play it. So he's just going to chill here, have a good time and blend in. So I want to date the giant wedding crasher. <laughs> Do you think Ella and Char would stay together? I guess. I have a feeling yes, because divorce between a king and queen is not really chill. It's a huge hassle. So. Plus, like, Ella's going to run the country, and Char will just get to, I don't know, race boats. Yeah. So I think that about does it. Yeah. I think I think that's enough of this yeah, weird movie. Yeah, that's enough of this movie. All right. Still, not bad. No, it is not a bad movie. It's just, it exists in its own world. Yeah. Anne Hathaway has had an interesting career. Anything like this movie will never exist. Because no. it is a perfect encapsulation of 2004. Speaking of perfect encapsulations of an age, uh, looking towards next week, we're ending this long string of 21st century movies by looking at a great encapsulation of the 80s, Dirty Dancing. The classic that almost defines at least the latter half of the decade. Oh, yeah. In a way. And we're going to talk all about that next week. Yeah. Until then, of course, you can follow the show on Facebook and Twitter at Love the Love Pod, and you can email us questions or movie suggestions at lovethelovepod at gmail.com. Make sure you rate, review, and subscribe to the show. Last question, Mark, what is the best piece of dating advice you got from this movie? Literally just say the words, you don't have to do what I tell you, and people will just be fawning over you. I was going to say, ride around on a bicycle narrating things that are happening in the universe, because I think Eric Idle, who plays the narrator in this movie, is probably having a great dating life in this movie. I guess. He seems very happy with life, at least. Yeah, he does seem very happy, if nothing else. So be like Eric Idle in this movie. Learn how to tell rhymes. There you go. Would I be more popular? Would I have better no. dating success? No. If I rhymed Don't everything? say it. No. Get out. That's it. I'm gay. And We're I'm a done. ginger. So between the two of us... We know everything there is to know about romance. Bye! Needed to shut you down, because I feel like you would take that way too far. I was starting to think of rhymes. I know. (laughs)